1: Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I am here with Joel Miller, the author of Memoir of a Roadie. Axel said I made a great cup of tea. Scott Wyland liked the carpenters and Ozzy drinks rosé. Joel, thanks for being here.
0: Hey, thank you for having me.
1: So, you know, this is your memoir of being a roadie, but I'm wondering if you could start by talking a little bit about why you decided to put this together and write it up in a a memoir. Why did you decide to write the memoir? Why did you decide
0: to put this out? The world needed another book. (laughs) (laughs) The network's not going to thrive. It's not going to succeed if we don't get (laughs) any more books on the market. And, you know, literate roadies are hard to come by. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um no i don't know if that's even funny i don't know so truth be told so uh years ago i befriended a fellow named michael grace and michael is my writing mentor for better or for worse and he wrote poltergeist he wrote cool world he wrote marked for death and he wrote a really cool movie that i liked when i was a kid called death hunt it was with charles bronson and lee marvin you know, super guy film it was so cool. (laughs) So when I uh, befriended the fella, I didn't care about Poltergeist. I was all about death hunt. And he got such a kick out of that. It was so funny. So he's like, maybe we could work on something together. And I was like, well, I've been, you know, I went home and I I spent some time and I was thinking about it. And I think we could write a movie called Poltergeist (laughs) 4. And this was before they really made Poltergeist 4. And he was like, Go home and think of a book to write. Get out of my office. And so he bothered me to write um, my story. And I was reluctant to do so because, honestly, it's hard. It's tough. So I began to look through these journals I had kept. And I, I, I bought a computer when I went on my first tour with Stone Temple Pilots, and at that time, you could get onto the AOL chat room. I don't know if you did that or not. And uh-huh. you were like, you know, oh, yes. oh, my friend's on instant <laughs> messenger. And you're like, you know, hey, I was trying to think of things to do with this computer. I could watch movies in the hotel room on our days off. But what can I do on this thing? And so um, it came with Microsoft Word. And I began to just write notes. Um, I think it came with Microsoft Word. But I was, I was writing notes. And those notes became all these journals. And I never really went back to read them. And I was just told I was just really honestly trying to fulfill a void of uh, something to do with this computer. And so I started to go through the notes about three, four years ago now, and they were really interesting. I'm forty-three. So when you're reading back at yourself at a twenty-year-old guy, there's stories you do remember that you think were the biggest deal that are totally not a big deal. <laughs> and then <there's, laughs> you know, there's stuff that uh, you're kind of looking like, I-, I don't even know who that is. I don't know what we're talking about. But it was really interesting to me. And, uh, about a year ago now, a little over a year ago, I had melanoma, which I'm okay. And I was thinking, man, if I croak, my little nephews aren't going to know that I wasn't totally lame. You know, there was, I, I had some cool, I had some cool stories. So I started really focusing and trying to finish, um, what this really great journalist told me is the tome of the roadie. <laughs> because it's because it's so long i was 500 page book but he he said he's like i he's like i sat down on the toilet i've got a sore bum and i i was reading and reading and reading and it's like five o'clock in the morning and i'm laughing away in the bathroom and my wife's like what are you doing in there so yeah i i kind of laughed i'm like well that's what i wanted to achieve i wanted to have more people spend time in the bathroom reading my book <laughs> so here's your long-winded explanation. I don't know, but th- those were the reasons behind this great piece of literature.
1: <laughs> right? No, it's because it's interesting. Because, like, you, like you said, you're 43. So often, 43 is not. I, Depending on how old you are, right? Forty-three for is not super old um, compared to when some people will sit down and be in their seventies or eighties and be like, "I am going to write my life story." So, right, that's interesting too. And in how you got to decide I, now that you need to get that out there.
0: But I type faster at forty-three than yeah, I would. See, been. there you go. Yeah. So that's the only reason. <laughs> and <huh? then>
1: you'd, <laughs> you'd be like, "Did I really do that? I don't think I did any of
0: that." Yeah, I don't know. Um. Yeah, I don't know. know. These are honestly, it's the fun chapters of life. I I think that uh, everybody should write down their memoir. Why not? You know, and it's so easy Mm -hmm. now. It's so simple to upload the contents of your life onto Amazon. And even though it's a big beast and it's nasty, it's simple. And why not? You know, I think if you're going through your family tree, for example, you're just reading names. What do these people do? And if you care, if you care, even knowing that they were a shopkeeper at least gives them some sort of uh, life. There's something to them. So the more you can do, I don't know, the more maybe somebody will ignore down the line from you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: well but but one thing that you sort of start out like so this isn't only about here's my life on the road this is what who i played with on the road and this is what it was like on the road you also sort of tell us about your family right and a little bit of history so before we get into sort of the first tour and how you got in to become a roadie can you talk a little bit about like your dad and mom right then and growing up and what that was like because you know, the relationship that your dad had with, um, was, was one that got you in to be, to be a roadie as well. So can you talk a little bit about what sort of got you before you got to be a roadie? What got you there?
0: Yeah. So my parents had three kids. My mom likes me the best. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I don't know. Okay. So actually, so, um, I felt that I needed to have a little bit of bumper before going into the roadie stuff. If you're going to care about your character, you kind of got to develop what I'm, what this guy's about. Uh, otherwise, you're just jumping into funny stories. And, and the book intentionally tried to focus on humor. I was never trying to write a book that draws up uh, negative attention. At the end of the day, I'm a music fan. And, and I, I got the awesome opportunity to tour with, I think, very cool bands um, I still think very cool bands. I'm still a fan of these guys. and I, I wanted to express my love for music, and I think that most readers would uh, share the, share the same feeling because it's a book on music. That having been said. So I sent the one of the initial drafts off to a fella that I'm friends with at the bar. His name's Dale. and Dale um, was a retired, or is, a retired psychiatrist. And he said, what well, was interesting about your book, You know, I don't know any of the bands you're talking about. I'm a little older than you. I know Led Zeppelin and The Grateful Dead. I kind of don't know the guys you're talking about. But your, your, the way your relationship with your father, for example, was very interesting to me. He goes, the second thing that was interesting is that I realized you're such an asshole. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm like, well, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Dale. He goes, no, no, no. It's really genuinely interesting because I'm thinking – all young men are assholes, and I, I really <laughs> learned a lot about that. So I was like, okay, okay. So I spent more time developing uh, my family and some of my relationships outside of music. I don't think I went too overboard because I don't know how many readers are going to really want to know about that stuff. But I made an attempt to bring it into a bigger uh, light, a bigger picture, and draw it all together as one. So. There is a, there's roughly uh, 50 pages or so, I, I'm going to say in the beginning, that are just developing me. My father was a car mechanic, you know, a little bit more. He was actually a machine shop if you're very into cars. So if you if you pull the motor out of a car and you have a guy rebuild the engine, that would be what a machinist does. And my father was a machinist. He worked out of my house. He had built this massive garage that was attached to my parents' house. And he would work there. And a lot of well-to-do people, political figureheads and whatnot would come through the garage. I think as time went on, just because it was a really cool spot, especially if you're a motor guy, it, it's like car heaven. It, it was really neat. There was stuff hanging all over the walls. There was engines lining the walls. And one of the guys that came by a lot that people like a lot, me included, was Jay Leno. So he did quite a bit of work on one of Jay Leno's cars. And maybe more I'd have to ask Jay. I'm, I'm actually not sure. But a lot of these interesting fellows would come and go. And so one of the guys that came uh, was a guy that I called in the book. I called him by the name of Nigel. And Nigel was an English fella. My dad was English as well. I was born in England. And one of my dad's rules was that he wouldn't work with anybody who was English. <laughs> and my dad was kind of weird and, or eccentric maybe. And so um, one thing led to another. He goes, you know, if, if you're interested, you can come work with us. I uh, would stone temple pilots. We need, he didn't say it, but what he was looking for was a bitch boy. They were looking for, they were looking for a kid to bust his butt and get everything uh, set up at the show, the lighting and all the pretty stuff on stage. And um, I really didn't take him seriously. Uh, most of the guys that came to the, the garage were having midlife crises. They'd buy their expensive car. Then they'd bash it up or just sell it. I don't know. They'd get rid of it. But it was very short-lived. And so he he was serious. It was like three days later, maybe four days later. And I was on tour with uh, Stone Temple Pilots. And from there, I worked my butt off in hopes of not getting fired, really. And I learned as as I went through.
1: So before we get into Stone Temple Pilots and your first um, sort of tour as a roadie, I have to ask, because if I don't, my my 14-year-old son, who has the same obsession I do, will not be happy with me. But you also, before that, Keanu, you, Dogstar and Keanu Reeves. So I just have to ask, you know, maybe you have nothing but what you put in the book, but um, you you interacted and... um, worked with Keanu. You we were at a recording studio for a little while. So what was that? And it seems like Keanu is as nice as he seems to be.
0: Yeah. I hope. Well, I mean, he's so popular now. I think if you were to say bad things about him, I don't know, man. They, <laughs> you'd be in trouble. Everybody nope. likes Keanu. Um, <laughs> but back then, I don't know how many people cared. So I was working in this recording studio. Uh, what I had done is I just, I knew I wanted to work in music. And I didn't know how to make that a reality. I had finished college, and I just didn't i didn't know what to do next. And I think a lot of, oh, maybe everybody, period, has the same idea. What, what now? And so what I did was I opened up the Yellow Pages at the time, and I called everything I could find that was music-related. And these guys let me work for them for free. I was at a recording studio. Um, and I, I I went there every day, and some of the guys that came through were pretty cool, one of them being... Dogstar, and Keanu was the bass player for, for this band. It was the band that he had put together. And he was. He was the nicest fella. And I tried to put together one of the events, and I just loved the um, what's the word? I just totally slipped my mind. The the randomness of the of, of the total <laughs> event. You know, I've I've tried hard to encapsulate randomness. So with the title, the title was going to be Axel Said I Make Grit. Axel said I made a great cup of tea I just leave it at that and my friends and I thought it was great and one of the stories that's not in the book I'm friendly with Dizzy from Guns N' Roses still and I called him and I'm like yeah so that so the book is, it's called uh, it's called Axel said I made a great cup of tea he's like that's that's like the best <laughs> that's the best title <laughs> that you could come up with like, I think it's a pretty good title dude I think it's a pretty good title so he's like, well, why, why'd you pick that? I'm like, well, didn't have that many interactions with Axel. You know, basically only had two conversations. And one of them was, you know, hey, hey can you make me some tea? And, and I was like, yeah, sure, dude. And then after he finished the tea, it, he was like, hey, you make some great tea. And so Dizzy was like, I think that would be one conversation. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know if it's one or two, to be really honest with you, because they were kind of spread apart. <laughs> so... Try to put these funny things together, and with Keanu, I, I put together this story. I think is very entertaining, and it's about him trying to eat Taco Bell <laughs> while I'm telling him <laughs> this random story about watching the movie Speed in Egypt. <laughs> and and what what was really neat is at the end, he really honestly, he candidly, he did look at me and went, "You know, it's actually a pretty good story." And I know for sure he was expecting it to be terribly painfully awful. (laughs) And so I liked Keanu. He is a very nice fella. And um, I think I paint the light for almost everybody in the book of being just that, Um, good people.
1: Mm -hmm. So you go on tour with, um, Stone Temple Pilots. So it's er, 2000, right? So when you sort of start and go on tour and I do think that, well, one, um, I have been informed that the roadies have the most fun. Uh, the rock stars don't have (laughs) as much fun as the roadies. Um,
0: did the 14 year old inform you?
1: (laughs) No, my husband
0: informed me of that. He's like the
1: roadies are the ones who actually have fun. Um, so he is a musician and so that's what he decides oh, cool. that the road he's had the most fun but no my 14 year old between Keanu and Taco Bell like when I tell when I read him that part you know both of which are like his favorite things so um, <laughs> that made him extra happy
0: <laughs> my buddy's so bad they took the Mexican pizza off the menu my buddy's so pissed off about it man I, he's like he's ready to start picketing he is so mad. <laughs>
1: no my and i know this is totally a side note but i will leave it in here anyway the other thing is i live in a small little town and taco bell is um their address is 420 um which makes my (laughs) right this because it references many things in your book too which makes my son and his friends even more happy that taco bell exists right it's pretty
0: awesome that's amazing
1: i want to come here (laughs) and No, you know, I was like, You're lying to me, and he's like, No. And I looked it up, and I'm like, Oh my goodness, it is at 420 West Jackson. Okay, okay, that's
0: amazing. So,
1: yes, yeah, so I was like, I wonder if that was actually planned.
0: Because- Isn't it wonderful when yeah. certain things come together perfectly? <laughs> no,
1: uh, so, so Stone Temple Pilots, so you get on this. So, can you talk a little bit? Can you share some of um your experience with Stone Temple Pilots and what that was like. I don't know where you even want to start. There's many things. So I don't know if you have um, an experience or something you want to start with with them.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we could start at the beginning. I I, I get out to the first show. Nobody's told me anything. I really don't know what I'm doing. This guy, Nigel's ordering me around. I'm wearing a white t-shirt on stage. Your husband will tell you that that's anonymous wrong anomaly yeah it's totally wrong so i mean nobody told me anything and i'm just scurrying along and i was very excited because we were going to be going on tour with the red hot chili peppers and this was during the time of the californication album which uh, I listened to like crazy and i was super excited working for stone temple pilots to be really honest was just this door opening for me to get to check those guys out. I knew it would be cool, but I didn't really care. I did uh, give you, your 14-year-old will not know this, but you remember the clubs, you know, you, you order 20 CDs for and you get one for a penny and all that stuff, are yes. you paid yet? So mm-hmm. I, I, did have, I did have Core, which is STP's first album, and I got it through the penny program thing, and I just didn't listen to it that much. I was blown away. When I saw these guys perform, they were really, really good. Having that having being said that here I, I'd only ever been to one real huge concert before touring it was actually Steve Miller and I, I didn't really have any uh, I, I didn't have the I, I didn't compare them to anything I hadn't seen it too much. Well as the shows progressed and I got to see all these acts uh, we were doing radio shows and radio shows are shorter performances by more bands so you see a lot of people perform I realized that STP was amazing. And I, I became this really huge fan. And I, I really, honest to goodness, hadn't started that way. And then I started to get uh, uppity. I, I was really proud that I was working for, I, I genuinely felt, the best band out there. And I still hold them in very high regard. Um, Scott it was such a gifted frontman. He, he was such a, I'm going to say, he was such a beautiful person. And... Uh, the opportunity to, to have gone out with them, especially being my first, first tour. was just something I'm so happy to have had. Um, and they treated me like a little kid brother. You know, I I was, I was a lot, I was only 23 by like a week and they were old. You know, they were, they were probably 30. (laughs) They were old men. (laughs) They were ancient. They were ancient. I I don't know if they were even 30. I'd have to look it up. They weren't very old. And, uh, they watched out for me i feel and i think the roadies and the bands they kind of helped me mold into who i am now so i definitely was looking into this as a coming of age story what makes you a man because they were all trying to toughen me up this was really important to everybody all the guys in the music industry are very tough very tough so they were trying to toughen me maybe not maybe not michael stipe i don't know there's a, there's a few guys that aren't that tough <laughs> but they were trying to make me very tough, very tough. And so this was a question of um, not being tough, but what, what being an adult uh, really is? What, what does it encompass? And, and it's a search. I'm, I'm searching my soul, going through this interesting process. It's definitely an unusual way of growing up and trying to find out what I want to be as an adult, who, who I want to be, what morality uh, questions I have and things like that.
1: Well, and I thought it was really interesting. You bring it up here that, like, when I was reading this, that you'd never been to a concert before, right? Like, I had gone to a concert, lot of right? little
0: shows. Yeah. I mean, we, we, um, in high school, there was a band called the Humble Gods, man. They were this punk band. I thought they were great. And we'd go to a lot mm-hmm. of their shows on sunset, but we were like their straight team. We did a lot of the dirty work for them. We'd sell t shirts, and every now and then they'd slip us a beer. I don't know if we're supposed to say that, but hey, whatever. So they'd, We were their kid crew. We'd cruise around and do free work for them, and they were really great guys. So I hadn't really seen... They they turned into a band um, called the Cottonmouth Kings, which your son, by the sounds of it, will have heard of. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I hadn't been to a real big concert. I I really didn't know what to expect. I was certainly unprepared, and I didn't want to screw up. I, I didn't want... I think I wrote it. I'm not sure, but I didn't want my story to end. I, I wanted to make sure I had a story. I, I wanted to give it a go and I wanted it to last for a while. And that wasn't easy. Um, it was. A t- it's a tough job. Being a roadie is really hard work.
1: Did you have any idea like, right, what you were getting yourself into and like what it meant to be a, like when you first, were you just like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to see, because you do talk about the hard work and and all the work that you do and needing to have everything right. Right. needing, you know, because you could get fired at any time by anyone, if you, you screwed up. Right. So did yeah. you, were, did, were you just like, I have no, it'll be easy. It'll be fine. Or any idea what you were getting yourself into when you first started?
0: I don't think so. You know, I, I don't think so. He had made it clear that it was hard. He told me that. And I kind of believed him, but I was also a young guy. I was in pretty good shape. I wasn't too worried about any kind of physical stuff. The difficulties are the lack of sleep that you get. And the, the, the physical exertion you have to do with that lack of seed can really be tough. Um, but it didn't really scare me. I did a lot of sports in high school. I wasn't too far out of high school. Um, I wasn't too worried about it. But he had made it clear it was really, really hard work. And as far as what you had said as trying to perfect it, I, um, I, I would watch the audience as much as I would watch the bands, maybe even watch the audiences more. And it, it wasn't just for the nudity, which I know I bring up a lot. I'm sure you're going to but, uh, <laughs> but um, it was really nice to see people just genuinely happy, having the times of their lives, really enjoying themselves. And I felt that if I did a good of a job as I could, I was part of that. I was part of what was making these people have a really kick-ass night. If I made a mistake, I was detracting from that. And that wasn't fair to the rest of the team, um, including the musicians, or any of the people in the audience. And so it was really important to me that I learned quickly to do a a really good job. And so I, I was crash course trying to figure that out. Early on in the touring, I talk about how I really almost got fired. I made a very big mistake. I left an entire road case a road case is a big box on wheels and we put stuff in it. And I left an entire road case in a city and that cost the band a lot of money. And more importantly to me, uh, the next audience didn't get, they they saw the show with fewer lights and that's not fair. That's tens of thousands of people that didn't get the best performance they could have got. And that was my fault. There was no other way to say it. And I was determined to never have that happen again. And, um, I was pretty successful. I definitely screwed up a lot, but it wasn't for being um, narrow. Well, not narrow-minded. I I just had my focus on other things until they really had a stern talk with me.
1: Well, and one of the fun things is there's all these sort of characters uh, that you work with, right. Um, That are quite entertaining. um, But also you as much as you talk about all of them being assholes and you being an asshole too, um, there's a really, there's a closeness, right? And you are living in these small quarters and you care about each other, even yeah. if it's in right. And yeah. so I don't, is there, you know, who do you want to sort of, there's so many of them, but are there any in particular you want to sort of highlight or talk about or share from,
0: you know, it's funny. I was watching the other day, it's, it's old. It was a married with children reunion <laughs> <laughs> and Christina Applegate, there she was talking about, it, and they're just horrible people. That the the the, uh, the Bundys, are terrible people. They're terrible right. people. And she said, "You, yeah, we would do the most atrocious things to to everyone else, but and, and we would be mean to one another. But if you pick on any of the Bundys, we teamed together, and that's what she said in this reunion. And I think it was really the same sort of thing. We, we stuck together. We were a family. And when you're out, you're living with one another. You're eating with one another you're, you're, you're working with one another, you're in like a difficult marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and so you do become tied with one another and you get through, you get through those issues. And yeah, I would think it would be difficult to not care about anybody you're touring with. Some of these guys were pretty bitter. I would mean sometimes they just weren't in a very healthy position in life. But for the most part, I would definitely say that people cared about one another and the roadies that I talk about, I try to build fun relationships with them. I try to play with our different roles and our different wants and things. And the shenanigans is probably it, too.
1: <laughs> right. And um, I, I thought it was interesting, too. It's very much... Um, a man's world, right. With it, there's, it's mostly men who are doing the jobs, but every once in a while, right. You have a woman that you're working with and, and sort of talking about, I cannot, I'm now I am, bl- I am blanking on. Um, Susie. The, who, yes. Right. Susie. And so the, like, yeah, those relationships too. Can you talk a little bit about like those um, that dynamic and, some it's, it's, of the ways, difficult.
0: Like... it's really difficult for a woman to be on the road. You're surrounded by immature pricks. Um, I'm very friendly with with the woman. I named her Mugs in the book. I change a lot of the names and mm-hmm. kind of even mesh a couple characters and stuff. But I named her Mugs in the book. And I'm very, very friendly with her. And she, she, she still tours. She actually just quit last year, but I think she'll go back. I hope she does. And she... She talks about it. She just had had enough. I'm, I've been doing this for so long with these immature jerks. And they're, you know, chauvinistic and blah, 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 I know there's a lot of careers that it's still very difficult for a woman. And I think entertainment as a whole, is, it's very hard to climb that ladder. Um, there's not a lot of female roadies, period. And I haven't toured in many years. I assume it hasn't changed much, but maybe it has. With that being said, there's certainly respect shown for the roadies that we're working with, at least by me, for sure. Uh, The character of Susie, I I held her in a very uh, high regard, but I've I've always been really close with my mom and I I have two sisters. I grew up with women, so maybe it's a little different. She could also kick the shit out of me, and I I was very well aware of that, (laughs) so maybe that was the real truth of all of it.
1: And I love that you, you know, that you also talk a bit about those relationships, even though they're, they might not be as close as the ones you have with some of the roadies that you formed with the band members, you talk about how Scott Weiland and the band referred to you as Jeff, which was not the name that anyone else referred to you as, um, So you want to talk a little bit about your nickname maybe, and then that relationship um, you had with maybe Scott Weiland and sort of um, some of the other members of Stone Temple Pilots. Sure.
0: So, so my nickname was actually Rifkin. So uh, how it worked was in the bus, we could watch television. The crocodile hunter was definitely the most important thing (laughs) to have on the TV. That was a big deal on the Stone Temple Pilots tour. And, There was an episode of Seinfeld where Elaine dates a guy named Joel Rifkin. And Joel Rifkin, in reality, is one of the worst serial killers in New York State history. He's a, I'm not going to say a pretty, but horrible person. He's a horrible person. Actually, because we're talking about literature here, it's amazing the words you use in a book when you're editing, you delete. So pretty. I use the word pretty so many times. I had to delete that word. And the second one, (laughs) just. Rebecca and I were just hanging out. You delete the word just so many times. Anyway, so back to the book. So they had they had just started calling me Rifkin. And it wasn't anything. I didn't want them to call me Rifkin because the guy's serial killer. And because I didn't like it, the name stuck. And so I spelled it differently. But everybody called me Rifkin. it wasn't very long thereafter that literally nobody knew my name or didn't care to know. And so they called me Rifkin and uh, that stayed all the way through my music days and still quite a few people call me Rifkin, at least from the music industry. And so uh, in regards to my relationships with musicians, so how it works is if you've toured with a band for a very long time, I think it's quite expected you would have a stronger relationship and it's because you spent more time with them. For me, doing very short tours, and only touring for uh, three or four years in total, uh, those relationships depended on how much time the band spent with us. A lot of that has to do is if the band stayed in the same buses as us, and if the band stayed in the same hotels with us. So with STP, I spent quite a bit of time in their dressing room, and that's because uh, the character of Susie had me do a lot of work for her, and um, I'd like to think they liked my company. So. Everybody needs their own space. And a lot of times the band's dressing room is their way to just get, just get away, especially after performing, you're tired, you're sweating. You need a few minutes before you go out and do a meeting greet. A meeting greets where you go sign signatures and you wave and say hi and stuff. And everybody tells you how great you were that night. So uh, I I was one of the, I think the only people really to go into that dressing room frequently. And I got to know some of the guys. And, And so Um, My relationship with the two brothers, which was Robert and Dean, I think was pretty good. They definitely beat up on me. Definitely not aggressively, more like a kid brother, like I had said. They'd give me a hard time. And I I very much felt that uh, they liked having me around. Uh, Kratzel's the drummer. Kratzel's quiet. He keeps to himself. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And uh, he's more of an introvert. And he's... uh, He's a good guy. He's a good guy. And then Scott, everybody wants to know about Scott, everybody Scott, because I think he's a, what encompasses a full real quote unquote rock star. And Scott definitely kept to himself in the beginning. Um, I know he didn't know who I was for a while. And if my memory serves me correctly, I think he finally figured out how I got on his radar was he wanted me to help him make coffee. And I I don't know how to make coffee. I don't drink coffee. (laughs) So you have these two bozos in this tour bus trying to work this coffee machine. And, and that's where I think we started to, I, I got a little bit on his radar after that. And we became friendly. And so at the end of the show, he does a strip tease every night and I, I would grab all of his stuff if Susie was busy or um, sometimes she did too, but I'd make sure to get his his costumes and uh, definitely his mic, uh, not his mic, but his louds. you know, he, he would yell through the loudspeaker. Megaphone
1: kind of. Thank you megaphone. so much. The megaphone.
0: So I want to grab the megaphone because fans, that's a cool thing for fans to take and things like that. Just make sure we got all the gear. And so I progressed relatively quickly, I think, into becoming the band stage manager. And then they would turn to you if they needed something. And so I got to know them pretty well. To change it up to uh, latter days, so with um, Guns N' Roses... We didn't even have a tour bus. we I only did two shows with them. And I didn't get to know uh, Axel, let's say, very well at all because I didn't see him too much. We were in Rio okay. for a couple weeks and Axel wasn't there. <laughs> so I, I never got to see him too much. The times that I did, I'm a huge fan. I'm a genuinely, I'm a really big die-hard Guns N' Roses fan. And so those opportunities for me were were pretty neat. And then with Poison, you're on a, you're on a lower budget tour. Um, Brett is a businessman; he watches every dollar and cent. And so they stayed in the same hotels and they stayed on the same buses. And I definitely built a relationship with those guys, maybe as more of a bud than as a boss. So,
1: right? Yeah. No, I had to. Um laugh because there were many things that when you talked about poison that like it made sense that there were more there was more nudity at a poison show than any other show right like yeah, i'm like of all. course of course right yeah. three doors and down
0: three doors down, a lot of and three doors down a lot of nudity three doors <laughs> down a lot of lot of nudity at the, the glam slam summer jam you gotta get gotta get naked an for that one
1: <laughs> uh, I, I i love the image of cc deville like running around like collecting money for oh, what was it car- like
0: with the clap. He was like, so into it. He was so proud. He had this clapboard you're talking about. And on it, yeah. it was uh pay five dollars for a handshake, pay five dollars for a photo, and five dollars for something else. Do you remember? I can't remember what the third one was. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but it was it was wonderful. And it's this huge clapboard. It wasn't like a little sign. He would like kick his he'd kick his ankles into it as he walked. And he'd walk around the parking lot and he he loved it. He really enjoyed doing it. And it was super fun. I'll bet you there's a lot of fans out there with these uh, with pictures of him and this, this huge clapboard. It was, it was fun. He's a character. He's an interesting guy. He's, he's a well-rounded person. He's a, what would you call it, a person who specializes in music. He knows more about the history of music than most people I've ever met. It's incredible, his, his database of knowledge of, the mu- of music.
1: And it, yes, I, and it seems like you and him had other sort of fun adventures together, um, but yeah, it was like, so So it was nice to read and sort of see some of those personalities come through.
0: Well, again, you spend time with them. I, I had worked for Poison in the recording studio in the get-go and then randomly worked for them again on the road. Um, I don't know if the two had anything to do with us becoming friendlier. I, I don't think they did, but... I spent a lot of time with them, and so you you get to be friendlier. And I respected, I, I respected all these guys, um, and I, I enjoyed them. And and what I've tried to do is they're just they're just humans. They're like you and me. They're just people. Um, and so some of the stories are good, and some aren't so good. But we're all just people. We're all just people. Mm-hmm.
1: And I have, if we bring in, you know, everyone that you sort of mentioned in your title, I must say that Sharon Osbourne, you represented her as the like the person in charge that yeah. I just assumed she was, right? She, um. she
0: yeah, she's a very tough person. <laughs> she runs Ozfest. Um, I don't think it would be a surprise to anybody. You know, Ozzy's here today because of her. She's strong. Mm-hmm. She's she's impressive. If you're talking about. Uh, as you were saying earlier, being a woman in the music industry, it it really is tough and she's tough and she runs it. She runs it all. You can't mess with her. And I think that's impressive. I hold her in very high high regard uh, for for being such an astute business person. I think for raising pretty good kids. So being a good mother and just being a really well-rounded person. I I like her. you know, I, I talk about one of the characters, he passed away. His name was Rigger Steve in the book. And I was really close to him. I liked him a lot. He was a character, I call him the ultimate roadie. And when he passed away, Sharon took his dog and took care of his dog until his family was able to come out and uh, retrieve the dog. That's, that's like, oh, well, anybody would do that. But I beg to defer. I, I don't know if they would. And so it's things like that that make people... More human. I think she's a really great lady.
1: No, I mean, I've always admired her, and I, I agree that I think that. <laughs> We would not know Ozzy Osbourne outside of Black Sabbath in the way that we do without her. And he's so um, much fun. You know, he's like- yeah. Like, But she, she to me, is just like, she, she's she got her shit together, right? And so that whole scene where I don't remember what the band was that decided they would play longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or show up late because they wanted to play when the sun was coming down. And that she's just like. Which, which button turns everything? Off? I'm like, yep, yeah, that sounds about right. That's She's her. Like, nope, not
0: yeah, I, think, I think a lot of what the Aussie stuff is as, as a business person, she opened up a brand. I get it. I get it. I get it. But the second thing that was so interesting about her franchise of her family is how much she really loves her family. You know, she mm-hmm. loves Aussie through and through. She loves this guy. And that I think it's that what's made Aussie himself so popular to a newer generation, I, I definitely loved Black Sabbath, but I wasn't the one buying their records. I came a little bit later, so his introduction to me and to uh, the generation of your son is is, is because of Sharon. And, mm-hmm. and to do that decade after decade, that's an incredibly cool task. That that's that's not hard. That's not easy to do. No,
1: nope. and I do love her relationship with her daughter as well. I think that. Um... They're both really smart and savvy. And so, yes. Yeah,
0: she's got it going on. I like her. And she's English.
1: Yeah, oh, there you go, right? there you go. Uh, (laughs) So when you were touring, were there um, certain bands that you were surprised you know you talk about different bands that you saw different different opening acts different bands that they toured with right when you're on the road often bands will um play with one set of you know one band for a while and then it'll switch so were there certain ones that you were either pleasantly surprised about that or ones that you were like yeah i was really hoping for something more with this
0: Hmm. as far as letdowns I don't know how many letdowns I had because I never really knew what to expect. You know, I talk about not liking Eminem very much. He he had a song called (laughs) suck my dick. And I see all these people in the audience yelling and screaming. I'm looking at him like, what the hell's wrong with you people? I now think that he's really great. um, But I've written lyrics and it's not easy to do. And not that that is, might be his song to be remembered by, but But nonetheless, (laughs) he's written some pretty incredibly he's an he's a very talented guy so i don't know how many true letdowns there were certainly guys i didn't really like and then you don't like their band as much because you don't really like them so i you know i I talk poorly about the singer quiet riot i couldn't couldn't stand listening to them (laughs) that's more my own thing and i think i try and put a spin on that where it's just me being you know childish really um, so the same with Lincoln Park and you know, all these silly little games I was playing that really don't mean anything. It's just having a bit of fun. And some you know, I did another interview and they asked me, Why do you hate Green Day? And I'm like, every, <laughs> every story needs a villain. <laughs> you know, the don't villain- get me started on my
1: <laughs> Green Day. Yeah. I'm
0: you not a big Green or do you Day not fan.
1: Like- no, I don't. I grew oh. up I also I went to college in um my undergraduate college was in Mankato, Minnesota, which is where they would come through. We have there were lots of in the early nineteen nineties, so tons of like punk shows and houses and Green Day would come through there all the time because Adrian worked and lived there, right? So I don't like them anyway. So Adrian. Yeah. Do you but mean
0: no out oh, no doubt, you mean?
1: No. Um his uh his wife, but it wasn't oh. his wife. Billy Joe's
0: Okay. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know them that well. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, yeah, I yeah. Just, I figured so I'm every not book, a
1: big fan of them either.
0: Well, I figured every book needed a villain. And so why not make it the punk band? <laughs> but um,
1: <laughs> They're not punk. Well, no, they're
0: not actually. So it was funny. I was doing this thing and he was on iHeartRadio radio and he, he made this big deal. You know, he's like, we've been doing this forever. We've been doing this forever. You're going to cut me off after four minutes, you know, screw you. And, and they canceled the rest of their tour. And he actually went to uh, rehab for a little bit for alcohol abuse. And my joke was like, yeah, because every punk band's only supposed to be, or every punk song is only supposed to be two minutes, dude. <laughs> Those are punk songs. That's the formula, bro. But, two minutes, um, three chords, you're good. But American idiot, as much as I'm not a huge uh, green day fan, American idiot is an amazing song. And, um, he, he, they wrote some great stuff. You know, basket case was fantastic. So I don't know. I don't really hate any of these guys. But on the other side of the coin, the ones that really impressed me. So I talk about the Turtles, which were so much mm-hmm. fun to watch. I didn't know any of their songs until they played them. And that was a super neat. They were, they were so gifted at what they do. You could tell these guys had been on the stage for so many years. They got it down. And that was really fun. I already talked about being STP being way better than I ever thought they could be they they, uh, scott was just so so gifted um not to detract from the rest of the guys that it was how well the band formed too they all played so well together as a unit and so there was that poison i did win me over i loved poison by the andy they were so (laughs) much They
1: put on a good show oh they put
0: on a really (laughs) good show if you want to just kick your shoes off and just have fun you can't beat a poison concert their songs are They're dumb and fantastic, you know, with the exception of a couple ones that Brett wrote from the heart. So that's something to believe in. It's a very nice song. (laughs) song. But
1: so you also have like coming back to some of these sort of roadie characters like I just um, and, and the wind up. Right. And so. Do you have a particularly favorite? You know, because you it seemed like you basically were spending a lot of time figuring out ways you could pull one over on one another, and how to, you know, and who could do that the best. So do you have? And you give lot. You have lots of them here, but do you have a favorite that um, you that you did or somebody did to you that you were really like yes.
0: Well, I can tell you the one I hated the most. It was that Miss Mississippi one where I was on the tour bus with that really attractive girl and they pulled oh. that they pulled that joke on me. And it's, you know, the one, it comes to mind just because these guys love it. I've always I talked to a roadie now that I toured with. They, they know that story and they still think it's so funny. And a little piece of me still gets angry. <laughs> I still get mad <laughs> because they're such dickheads. So, so that one really stands out. But when you go to a show The stage manager's job is to to try and make it so that every performance looks the same visually. We're trying to copycat what you would see if you were in Florida or Arizona or California. And so with that, you get a bit bored. So you do contests. And one of those contests could be how quickly you set up the stage or how quickly you tear it down, actually, to get back in the bus and eat your pizza and call it a night. Or... You play these little games on one another and so i love the everclear one where uh where the the guy nigel he had taken the, the a limo had come by to pick the band up and he, he's him and another fella they're like are, are you everclear and he kind of looked at the other guy and he's like well yes yes i am <laughs> and so he got in the limo and the band gets there there is no limo And so the guys have to cruise in the crew, crew, but uh, the crew, and the reason why I think it's funny, what is it? Sorry, the crew uh, van, the crew van. And the reason why I think it's funny is because I could totally picture these these band guys super pissed off (laughs) because they're riding in this van rather than this limo. And I could picture the other guy in the limo thinking how hilarious it is. So these little jokes kind of kept everybody going, kind of kept it fun. And they got mean, though. Some of them were pretty mean.
1: So the one guy who um is, is you represent as very entertaining in some ways is an um, aso is that how you pronounce the
0: I aso aso aso
1: yeah. right um with his character that he created
0: yeah so he was uh. sort of in the, in the book he's sort of just he's sort of my buddy really he he's the one who's I think the most similar to me in age he had a lot of experience but he's most similar in age to me. He's definitely the culprit of a lot of the, the shenanigans. And we're both really different characters. Um, we grew up in different places and different environments. He's definitely not the brightest guy. But I think it comes across. I really care about him. And he really cared about me, I think to a degree. <laughs> and, and um, I, I think he's a fun character. I think he's a really fun character.
1: Um, and also, like, I, I appreciate there was times where I was like this uh, being a roadie might be the only like, so I think it was Jack who talks to the lights.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, right. Like, it, it, you know, and you would tell pe- people are like, he talks to himself and you're like, no, he's talking to the lights. Right. There's a difference. Like, <laughs> it seems like. Right. There's a big difference. But that yeah. whole thing made me think that in some ways um, the being a roadie just is a job that some people that's the only not that it's the only job but right like it's fit for people like it seemed like this was something he could do right yeah miscreants misfits Uh
0: people who want to be away from the norm people who have difficulty um functioning in in society and that's why it's such a difficult job on top of it it's mentally challenging you you you're not I wasn't always happy. I, I became very lonely at the end. And I, I worried about if I was to ever have a family one day, I'd never get to see any of that family. I worried about going through that cycle of being a drug addict, or I, I was quite clearly an alcoholic. So I worried about the cycles. And uh, it's what we, we call a lot of roadies. If they stick with it forever, we call them lifers. And I think it's because it's hard to get out of that. And unfortunately, there's, there's quite a few people who pass away too young. And it's because it, it's just a very difficult lifestyle. And uh, I don't know why the entertainment world brings in a lot of people who have uh, mental anguish and, and a lot of problems. And, and, and even though these stories are funny, we're all jerks. You know, we're not... <laughs> We're not people you'd want to bring home to introduce to your mom.
1: <laughs> and you can see sort of the hardness, right? Like, so as you get to the end, you sort of, you don't, like you said, you only toured for what, three, four years. You, yeah. um, And then you sort of left that space and you talk a little bit about how you even planned ahead um, for thinking about what would you do when you're not touring, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so you see that. So was there any, was it, you talk also about your family and needing to like, you know, your parents' health and wanting to make sure you were there to help, you know, like being able to earn a living to help your mom. So was there something, was there anything that was really like I'm
0: done? Like what was it that um, sort of made you? I feel that (laughs) it just, I feel like it just came to its own end. I, I was young enough to where I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do with my life. I was quite certain it was going to be work and music at the beginning. But my favorite band in the whole world was Guns N' Roses. And so I got to tour with Guns N' Roses. What was, for, what was there for me to achieve after that? And there wasn't really anything I could think of. Uh, now being older, having bills, responsibility and stuff, maybe that wouldn't be my entire focus but as a young guy, it was, and so I got to see a band that I thought was the best performers I could ever see, which was Stone Temple Pilots, and then I got to work for the band that was my favorite, and I was ready for something else. I wanted the next chapter to open. I talk about it a bit, but I, I got into the film industry after that. But I was, I was thinking maybe that would be fun. Let's try that now. You know, flip flop around and, and just see what what works. I also thought maybe I could go back to touring, but the longer you stay away, the harder it is to go back to any job.
1: Yeah, so one thing I wanted to ask, um, because we've been talking for a while, but I do want to know, because you do talk about writing the screenplay and spending time, you know, writing during this whole uh, your whole experience, right? You'd spend a lot of time writing. So what did you just try? And as many things in Hollywood happen, it just didn't work out? Or like,
0: what happened? Did the screenplay ever, did you ever get it anywhere? Yeah, so after... What had happened, I wrote, I I call it in the book, it was called an artist art, which I thought was the best name, and it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So we changed the title of it to uh, The Still Life, and it was released by Warner Brothers years later. And when I wrote The the Still Life, so The Still Life's about a guy who paints a, a painting and passes out drunk, and the next day an art critic comes and he likes the destroyed painting. And so together they create an art movement called Destructionism. But the guy finds it very hard to put all of his creativity into his product, knowing that he has to destroy it for critical acclaim. I wrote quite a bit of that screenplay while I was on tour with Stone Temple Pilots. And so the character of Julian Lamont, which is my lead fictitious character, uh, was modeled a lot off of Scott and watching a lot of these guys and seeing how their lives went. And so in that process, and I brought it up in the book because I had continued to, I had a fully... I felt I was going to continue writing. And it was when I finally did like a page count, I went, oh boy, I'm done. (laughs) And that's why I kind of summed up the book where I did, but I was going to keep going. I was going to talk about the film industry, yada, 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 and other things and different pursuits. And so maybe I'll still do that. I hope to, because I've enjoyed this whole process. But with the film, I put a bunch of rock stars in it, and so I had Jonathan Davis from Corn as the liquor store clerk, Josh from Buck Cherry as the drunk guy in the bar, Dizzy from Guns N' Roses keyboard player in the bar, Louise as the singer in the bar, etc. 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 And I thought I could make a buck. I really did. I thought if Warner Brothers was to distribute it, I would make money and maybe create a career. And I thought working in the film industry would be good. These guys, I thought made tons of money and it seemed kind of fun, but it didn't really work that way. I didn't make any money ever on the movie. And after that, I don't know. I wandered onto the next thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which you sort of give us an overview of in the last uh, year, chapter six, 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 (laughs) right?
0: Yeah. 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 A little bit. Uh,
1: But uh, so usually I end with, if you have Any other projects you're? I mean, this sort of just came out, and you sort of alluded to maybe you'll keep writing, you know, more. Yeah. Uh, But if there's anything you're working on now, or um, anything you want to sort of uh, highlight or put out there, Uh, uh, you know, sort of last words.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm recording an audio book right now, which is a super chore. I had no idea it would be this difficult Mm -hmm. because I recorded. Uh, like 70 chapters and then i finally figured out that you need to add a lot of enthusiasm or it's really boring to listen to (laughs) so i'm back (laughs) at chapter one so actually i'm at chapter 12 as of today so i'm redoing the first 70 chapters there's roughly 120 something chapters so i hope to get that going soon and then i'm a memorabilia dealer i sell a lot of art memorabilia and so uh, we're actually talking to some people about putting a reality show together. We'll see if it happens or not. I'm not sure, but that's where my pursuits have gone. And uh, I'm a landlord. Hopefully I'm a decent <laughs> landlord to, to some people.
1: So you actually use your college degree.
0: That's funny. I don't know. I, I don't know how much uh, water an art history degree holds, <laughs> but I clearly, I clearly,
1: <laughs> I clearly <laughs> like, and I appreciate
0: the arts. The I, art. uh, my father, I talk about, he collected, or my parents, it's not really my father, my parents collected Japanese prints. And I just, I had that bug. I started working at auction houses when I was a little kid. I was maybe 15 years old. I was working at the front desk. I was the kid to sell you the catalog. And once I collected a little bit of money together, I was able to start buying stuff. And I did really well. My first auction, I, uh, I, I bought this thing. So this is a tangent, but it's a bit fun. I bought this pillar. And it was uh, the colors of the Jamaican flag. It was, a, it was a wooden pillar. And we used to put our beers on it when we played pool in my house. And it had all the things me as an art dealer would like. It was early 60s, if not late 50s. I can't remember. Maybe even early 50s. But it had a gallery tag on it, which is great. And it had some uh, je ne sais quoi. I don't know. It was cool. And it was perfect to put your beer on so I took it to this auction house guy. His name is Peter Lachry. He passed away this year, which really sucks because he was my mentor for art. And he just was blown away Goes, you know, this is really cool. And as far as mid-century modern contemporary art goes, the 50s and 60s are an incredibly amazing era for art expanding. And he, he was blown away. And the, the piece was done by a guy named Vasa Vasa Milovic, who's actually a professor at UCLA. And he does plastics. Well, before he worked in plastics, he worked in wood. And so he was like, why don't you take it down to Vasa? And, <clears throat> sorry, why don't you take it down to Vasa and see if he can do a little bit of fixing to it. It has got some scratches and stuff. It's been a long time. It was lacquered over. And so I took it down to meet this fella. And, and he sees the piece and he just starts crying. And so I hold his little Pomeranian dog. <laughs> and while he's crying his eyes out, this guy, And I'm looking at him, it was was a a little awkward. And he says to me, I think he's he's Yugoslavian. He's either Hungarian or Yugoslavian. And he says, when I moved to America, this was the first piece I ever sold. It's this that made me an artist. And it meant I could eat, I could eat food. And it's coming back to me now. And and you don't know what that means as an artist. And I thought that was so cool. (laughs) I really enjoyed this experience. And so I took the piece back to the auction house. I'm like, so I talked to this Vasta guy, man. Here's a picture of me and his dog. (laughs) And he doesn't want you to touch it, dude. He says, leave it alone. So you can't fix it, man. He's going to be really pissed with me. And we ran it at auction. And we did pretty well. But I got the bug. And I started buying more things and selling them at auction. I did really well the first year. And my girlfriend, uh, we just had our ninth anniversary yesterday. My girlfriend, she said, you know, you're pretty stupid. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing here, Rebecca. (laughs) But she's like, you're pretty stupid, but you seem to be doing really good at this art stuff. You need to stick with it. You need to focus. And so I focused and I, I, I've done pretty well working in art and memorabilia. And so in the music world and the, in the film world, I've sold Willie Shoemaker's Breeder Cups trophy to, uh, I have Mr. T's boxing trunks from Rocky. And I have right now the, the best thing i've ever had for me i have the original handwritten sheet music for pink floyd the wall and, uh, ah. that is my ultimate thing of having ever owned so I, i'm in a good So you place. may
1: never let go of that <laughs> well
0: i probably would yeah it, it's a sign- <laughs> it would really fetch a lot of money so um it was written by michael cayman who incidentally worked with guns and roses too and michael Kamen was he wrote all the orchestral movements for the album. And so this is all of his sheet music. It's set to be going on tour with the band. The band was doing a tour of um, their, their ephemera, their stuff. And uh, because of COVID and the United States, and I wasn't going to bring up COVID cause we're all, it's all we hear all day, <laughs> but because of it um, they've canceled that tour this year. So it's set to be going on tour with them, hopefully next year. And then fans like me will get to see this really c- cool piece of rock art, and yeah, it's a really neat, it's a right. really cool thing.
1: That's well, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, but it's been we can end on that really sort of awesome note, and hopefully people can go out and see that. Uh, Joel, it's been great talking to you, you again. Too. This is. Yeah, Joel Miller, the author of memoirs of a roadie. Axel said I made a great cup of tea. Scott Weiland liked the carpenters, and Ozzy drinks rose. Oh, it's so, on thanks. Amazon. So can...
0: I suppose, there's my yes, pitch. It's, there's my long winded It's on Amazon.
1: <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Thank you.